Australian Aviation Awards Night Wrap-Up, Part 119, Delayed Yet Again, and Do Some Jobs Work Against You in Future Employment? I discuss all that and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to the Flight Training Australia podcast episode 93, the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. From Mackay to Geraldton, Murray Bridge to MKT and everywhere in between. G'day, I'm your host Trent Robinson, thank you for joining me. How are you all going? I hope you had a fantastic week, a fantastic weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the aviators out there today. Uh, whether you were working or had the time off with family and friends, I hope you had a fantastic weekend. For all those that have lost your fathers, I hope that uh, you had some time of reflection and uh, <clears throat> managed to uh, have some fond memories there. So, uh, yes, Australian Aviation Awards all over for another year. Unfortunately, didn't come through with the goods. Uh, not sure what the winner did um, probably one little drawback from the awards and, and something I've suggested for future is to have a bit more info on the finalists and what they did because people were winning awards but we really didn't know what for um, which would have been great <laughs> so hopefully for next year that's something that they can take on board and uh, do but otherwise it was a fantastic night it was uh, great to run into uh, some other uh, students and, and colleagues that I haven't seen for a while uh, Lynn Gray, G'day, Isha, and uh, Hugh and Paige out there winning the uh, Fight Training School of the Year Award at APA. Well done, guys. And also very avid podcast listeners sitting right next to them, uh, well, behind me. So that was really cool to catch you guys. Thank you for saying G'day. And I know there's many other listeners as well that have contacted me since going, oh, damn, didn't realise you were there. Um, so that would have been great to have seen you and met you in person. But anyway... We'll keep talking in the digital space in the meantime, and uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again sometime soon. So um, speaking of podcast awards, well, there's aviation awards, but also podcast awards. So the Australian Podcast Awards are actually out at the moment, and I have uh, posted a link on my social media last week, and I'll pop it up again. But uh, there is the Listener's Choice Award. So I uh, have put the link there if you're loving the podcast and would love to uh, help me out and cast a vote that uh, maybe I can take away a different award. <laughs> that would be amazing. It all just helps with the exposure of the podcast and helping people find it. Um, there's amazing numbers. It's like nearly 120,000 downloads now since I started and uh, thousands of individual listeners, but there are far more pilots than that, and I know that the information contained in these podcasts will help so many. So keep telling all your fellow students, aviators, um, your colleagues, you whoever, it's good for everybody to be listening, and it's your podcast, so let me know. Anything you want me to talk about, discuss, flick it through. All my contact details are on the social media or in the episode description of the podcast player you're listening to right now. All right. So thank you for doing that. 
Um, now, people coming up for jobs still trickling through and the 210 200 series requests are still coming through thick and fast. So for those approaching me for that, let me just give you a quick update on where things are at with all that and uh, that will help you maybe with your planning. So for a lot of you, you probably understand that coming up to Darwin, the first job is usually in a uh, 200 series aircraft, which would typically be a 206 or 210. There are a few 207s out there, but uh, it's usually a 210. Now, I've managed to do some 210 work and 210 endorsements, but the problem is all these aircraft are actual operational aeroplanes. They're all charter aircraft. So they're not available or just sitting there on the line like you would have at a normal flying school. So that means I can book the aircraft and plan it all ahead six weeks ahead or whatever, but... Obviously, if something happens the day before and they need the aeroplane, well, it's their aircraft and they get first dibs. And that's what's been happening up until, yeah, well, that's what's been happening lately. And I don't like uh, wasting time and obviously I don't like letting students down um, who are sort of relying on these checks to put in their resumes and things. So it's all sort of been on hold for a bit. I have some good news. I have managed to secure a 206 which is not a 210, but it's still 200 series time. Now, um, because I want to help everybody, I have spoken to some of the employers and let them know the situation. And at the moment, if you're going to say 200 series time, then mean it because that's what people are going to start coming up with. The good thing about this 206 is uh, once I've uh, done the, the well, let's call it the conversion training, but once I've checked you out on it and uh, – if you want to hire it yourself and do some private hire, then you will be able to do that. So there's a six-seat single-engine aircraft you'll be able to hire, uh, take some friends, build up a bit of extra time if you want, and that's a really fantastic opportunity. So that will be happening um, in another week or so's time. It should be all up and running, ready to go. I am working on one other privately owned 210. Um, I need to contact the owner again about that. I've, I've talked to a couple of other operators, but it's just getting – too hard with insurance and uh, clearances and liability insurance. Lawyers are getting involved and it's just not being realistic. So I will try that. So if you're really, really wanting to 10 time, if you can, whilst it would be fantastic to do it all up here with me, do the 210 flight, the Darwin for Mill flight and Lazo or anything else all in one, it's potentially not going to happen. So if you can get hold of a 210 at least, do that. And then we can either use a 206 or a 172 up here and do the rest of it. So that's what I'd be doing right now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, any training you want to do, email me, message me by the usual methods, and I will certainly get back to you, add you to the list, and uh, give you an update on where things are at. Now, part 119. So, wow, what a mess. Other words I could use, but I won't. So those that aren't familiar, Part 119 is the up-and-coming check and training process for uh, operators. It's formerly sort of known as CAR 217, which was a airline flying school certificate, if you like, that allowed them to do type ratings and check and training and testing within the organisation. So Part 119 is now applying to all operations, 121, 135, et cetera, and companies – are now having to do six monthly OPCs, operator proficiency checks for IFR pilots and 12 monthly for VFR pilots. 
the check-in trainers are going to need to be checked in the right-hand seat. They need instructor ratings. Um, if they're just training pilots, then they don't need to. They just need to be subject matter experts and experienced in the field. And <clears throat> it was meant to come in tomorrow after it was meant to come in in uh, March and it was meant to come in as September last year. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a mess. Now, what's going on at the moment is that CASA haven't actually formally delayed this, but this is absolutely 100% correct. The problem is, is as the stroke of midnight tonight, everyone would cease to be valid, including the check and trainers, which would mean there'll be no one to be able to get you valid unless um, you use an instructor like myself outside of the organisation. So it's kind of messed up and Cass is trying to write a exemption to fix this problem. It was meant to be a phase-in period that it came into effect and it didn't bother you until your next check flight was due and then you transition onto the new system. Unfortunately, somehow that wasn't written properly and so this is the problem that's happened. So there is now no expected date. They're probably quite wise in doing that, in my opinion, that they're going to just say it's postponed indefinitely. Once it comes into place, once everything is sorted, they'll put out a date with enough notice and everyone goes. Now, what does that mean for operators who have written their manuals and uh, started investing in getting their their crew check and training approved, et cetera? Well, really nothing. Carry on. They're just the main thing is going to be that you don't have an official head of training and checking or a HOTAC or HOTC until such time as this comes into place. And again, I have absolutely no idea when that is just yet. That's everything I've just told you is everything I know. So one obstacle that has been coming up, however, is who is nominated as a head of training checking and who CASA are also going to accept as acceptable check and trainers. Now, this is part of the problem. So if you have a high turnover of staff, like a lot of operations do right now, and they haven't had, for example, up here a Darwin a wet season, or they haven't uh, experienced a winter in Victoria or Tasmania or whatever else, haven't done any mountain flying or whatever sort of weather phenomenon or geographical challenges may face you in your local area, then they're potentially going to be rejected because how can you possibly – check and train someone to fly in those conditions if you yourself haven't done it. So I actually support CASA in that stance. However, the problem now is, well, how the hell do we get people valid and and current and expertise in these areas so that they can actually be effective in these roles? This is going to take some time and some planning. And I have been approached, as I've told you previously, by a number of operators that um, you know would want me to assist them in this process and, and mentoring and development. And I think that's really how it's going to work. I think this is what CASA sort of planned all along, that the option to outsource to 141 142 operators is going to give access to potentially a more stabilised workforce, an experienced training workforce, um, and 
you know, pilots that aren't just disappearing and um, going to new jobs quickly. So by the time they're trained, they're moving on and then they're back to square one, which is a real issue. And the safety manager positions are going to be exactly the same sort of thing. I really see that as a position for smaller operators that is outsourced to someone that may look after several companies and do it that way because otherwise trying to find the right person, it's going to add considerable cost to the operation and uh, be difficult. So, yes, yeah, so part 119 is delayed. Don't know when, um, but my recommendation would be to continue developing your your check-in training team and liaising with uh, whoever's sort of good at this sort of stuff in your area and um, get the manuals written, run it in parallel with your current system. It just gives you an opportunity to check that it's all working properly and, and manageable and, and makes sense and, and make any tweaks so that when – this actually does come into effect. Uh, you basically got a tried and tested chicken training system, which would be fantastic because you wouldn't normally get the opportunity to do that. So uh, see how you go. All right. And then lastly, I got a message uh, recently just asking about um, some jobs and whether they are sort of frowned upon and looked down on um, by future employers. And, yeah, it was an interesting question. I... I personally don't think it does what the issue is is for example this was about parachuting and i i don't personally see an issue with getting a job doing parachute dropping um or meat bombing as we call it not that i wish that on anybody um but parachute dropping is not a bad job in itself it really as always does comes down to the operator you can be doing proper 135 chart operations for what some would perceive to be as a dodgy operator and working with them I think can be just as damaging um, to your career prospects or affect you negatively. Just like being trained at a uh, a flight school that's considered not doing a good job, um, if they see that that's where you've done your training, they're potentially just going to skip over you as well. So I really think it's more about the reputation of the operator or the the training provider or wherever it is that you're actually working rather than the type of work that it is um, that's going to affect your opportunities. And again, you know, this is where maintaining your own professional standards, irrespective of the standards required or expected where you are, um, just do everything to the highest standard you can in preparation for moving on because otherwise if you just get away with murder and then you go to a new operation, you're going to find it a massive step up. And I can tell you now from, from talking to people moving from uh, GA into the airline environment, you know, it's a big step up. It's very different. So if you just keep flying at the highest standard you can, be your own um, worst critique, you know, just really look at how you operate each day and always find something to improve and be better at Um, when the time comes to do that uh, next job or airline interview you know you're going to impress and you're going to do a good job all right that's it for this one i uh have a flight in the mallard in the morning at uh, four o'clock sign on so what have i been thinking a nice cushy instructor job starting uh, when i feel like it and now i've gone and done this (laughs) but um absolutely loving getting back into some charter and uh off to broom tomorrow and back so i will uh, show you what's going on on uh, instagram and facebook no doubt so if you're not following me there jump on that and i'll also be flying with dan 
Dan Bolton, otherwise known as that Mallard guy. He's uh, just started getting his podcast back up and running uh, sporadically. I know he's got one that's almost ready to uh, hit the airwaves. So look up Dan and you'll see both of us uh, and our antics next week. And also, um, Steve is uh, putting out some fantastic uh, stuff as well. Fly Dive, Fly Dive Steve. He's um, got some fantastic photos and videos coming out as well, all from the Mallard Flying. So look them up and fo- give them a follow and... I look forward to talking to you all next week. Thanks for all your messages. Glad you enjoyed the interview with Nathan. If you haven't listened to that one, jump on there. Some great uh, tips on ATPL theory. And I will see you or talk to you next week. Until then, blue skies and remember the golden rule. Aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone.